So define for me if you've got to get your Christian hats off and just be a regular person who does not bring in Christian thoughts. What does the cross stand for? What is the cross meant for? Death, what a suffering, shame, punishment, sacrifice, humiliation. You put your Christian hat on, take it off. Love is when Jesus died on it, right? I'm saying take that hat off. What the cross is actually is a place of humiliation, death, shame, you getting what you deserve because you are condemned, you're a condemned criminal, right? And then we suddenly sang that this is a wonderful cross. Go on to the next part of that because it says bids me come to follow him or come to that cross. Keep going, one more. Ah, you. Yeah, bids me come and die. So here's my question to you. If that is what the cross stands for, what are you asking God, inviting yourself to the cross? Right, we all sang right now that the cross of Jesus Christ invites us to come to him. My question to you, do, do you know what you're coming for? And if you know what you're coming for, why would you come for death and humiliation and brokenness? And in some ways, uh, an absolute destruction of yourself. Yeah, you think it's fun? I just want us to be sure of not only what we sing, but what we think about. It's a pretty song. I love that song. But what you and I just sang is, God, go ahead, destroy me. And I just want you to be aware if God wants to break you, if God wants to break me, he will touch those things of your and my life which actually means a lot to you. The very things that you and I love could be your health, could be your work, could be your marriage, could be your children, could everything is out for grabs. Because you have just sung, I will embrace the cross. Oh, I totally agree, you will find new life. But what I do want to tell you is, it is not fun. And that is why I love Romans chapter 5. Because without Romans chapter 5, you will go crazy. You will lose your mind. And you will lose the purpose of living. I'm ready for my sermon slides. Thank you, Mike. So part of what I want you to do this morning is 
You've got to understand the cross, because if you don't understand the cross, you will not understand suffering. Jesus took something that is destructive, that's what the cross stands for, and he turned it around and gave it meaning. He totally changed the whole concept of what it means to die what it means to be broken, what it means to be shamed, what it means to be stripped away. When I use the word suffering, I'm using it in so many dimensions, and one of it is acute suffering will strip every humanity of you. And Scripture has something to say about it. I want you to know that Christianity is the only religion in the world, the only philosophy, if you will, who has an absolutely unique view to how to respond to suffering. Buddhism, uh, in the two noble truths, their definition and place of suffering is, it is because of our attachment to the world. So how do you escape suffering, remove yourself from the world, live an ascetic life that has very little commitments and attachments to the world. And if you do that, you will escape suffering and you don't have to deal with it. Hinduism, which is the culture in which I grew up, I've seen it, I've lived it for the first 25 years of my life. Uh, has a unique concept of the reason you suffer, or we suffer, humanity suffers. Uh, the core belief is you are what you're going through because of what you were in your previous life. So if you had a lot of sins in your previous life, guess what? You'll come back uh, in different forms, not just in human form, but if you are in human form, uh, you get to pay for it now in this life. Uh, it is a pretty sad value because what happens often with people like that, when they believe that, it's a very fatalistic view, which says, you know what, this is what's written on my forehead. This is what God has deemed for my life. I'm just going to live it through because nothing's going to change. It's pretty sad. And then you have Islam, uh, that says that the place of suffering is either of two reasons. One, it's because of sin in your life. Or, God is testing you. Now, the more I thought about that is, sometimes we Christians very often have an Islamic view of suffering because, I'm going to ask you a rhetoric question because I've done that same thing with myself. When you go through something that's unfair, that you did not ask for, that is overwhelming, isn't one of the first thoughts that go through your mind, what did I do? That is. You wonder, is God punishing me because of some unconfessed sin? Or am I going through this because of I know God forgives, but there are consequences to sin, right? That's one of the phrases we use. 
Yeah, God forgives, but there are consequences. And then you say, oh, this might be a consequence of some sin. And I would suggest to you this morning, uh, be careful of thinking like that, because that would be more an Islamic view of suffering than a Christian one. And so we come to scripture here in Romans chapter 5. Let me read to you verses 1 to 5, and then let's look at this together. Romans 5, 1 to 5. Therefore. Now when you see the word therefore, what should you do? What is it therefore? It must be connected to other stuff. Right? So Paul is ending one topic and now entering into another topic. And he says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And here comes our passage for the morning. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope, does not, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Very interesting. I hope you see how specific scripture is in telling us if you are going to go through some kind of suffering, some kind of a trial, that's the phrase that James chapter 3 says. We go through different kinds of trials and testings, but there too it says, count it pure joy. You see how, how in some ways from a worldly point of view, how ridiculous that sounds. On one hand, you're going through something unfair, something really overwhelming, something that destroys your life. And God comes in and says, embrace it. Rejoice in it. And you are probably responding back and says, I have no reason to be rejoicing. I have no reason to embrace it. In fact, when we go through suffering... Our first prayers are what? God, take me out of this. I want to finish quickly. God, be merciful. Heal me. Solve the situation. And the word of God comes to us and says, yeah, that's okay. But your attitude ought to be one of rejoicing, embracing. And I, uh, if you don't get the concept of, you know, how do I be joyful? I'll tell you a very simple thing that I have done in life when things haven't gone the way I expected it or I saw this has no end to it. Do you know sometimes in life you go through challenges in life that may not have a happy ending in this world? And the question is, what are you going to do with it? All your prayers do not get answered favorably on this side of eternity. You've got to be aware of it. Then the question is, what do I do? 
Because if you don't know what to do, you'll end up being a bitter person. Angry with yourself, angry with God, angry with the situation. How do you live the rest of your life like that? And scripture comes to us and says, count it all joy. And I would say, the way I have handled it, count it all joy, uh, what I've told myself is, I'm going to embrace the situation. Uh, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't want it, even if I want out of it, God, I accept it. So the word therefore is so critical for our understanding of the place of suffering because what Paul is trying to lay down is a foundation for the argument, why should we rejoice? And the argument is simple. Let's get this out of the way, is what Paul's saying. You are justified and you're righteous. Two very different things. Justified just means that God has passed a verdict on your life that you will not be condemned for your sin. You are freed from the condemnation of sin. I, before I finish the book of Romans, I hope you get a couple of words uh, absolutely clear. I want to be a, you to be a theologian on these big words. And know how I'm impressing other people. One of that is, get a good handle of the word justification. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 26. I preached about it a couple of weeks ago. God is both justified, he is and he is just. In other words, God, because of his character, can be the judge that condemns people to eternal hell. At the same time, because he is justifier in Christ, he has the right judiciously, legally, to set people free. And the example we took was the presidential pardon. Just by a signature, the president of the United States can free the worst criminal, not because the guy deserves it, but just because he's president. Isn't that amazing? And God can do the same thing with us. He is both just and justifier. You are justified in God. And in Romans chapter 5, uh, he amplifies what this, this word righteous means. That's very different uh, because all the people who the presidents of the country there... Every president has pardoned people. And all that the president has the right to do is to say, your sentence is commuted. Go live a normal life. What the president is incapable of doing is to take those same people and say, you know what, you guys actually didn't do anything wrong. No president says that. Because they did do wrong. He only can free Federal convictions, not state. That's left to the governor. But it, whether it be the governor of a state or the president of the country, they don't have the right to say, you know what, uh, you didn't do anything wrong, or it's not a big deal. Because then he would be saying they're righteous. Now, here's where the concept of righteousness in Christianity is mind-blowing. Do you know what Jesus does for you and I? Not only lifts the condemnation, 
But what Romans chapter 5 teaches us is that God declares you and I righteous. And that righteousness is not because you didn't do anything wrong. You did sin. You are righteous because Jesus puts his righteousness onto you. Did you understand that? Do you know why in Jude, the second last book in the Bible, Jude said that Jesus will present you blameless before the Father. Are we blameless people? No. But when you stand before the Father, Jesus presents you blameless. How? Magic. The magic is that Jesus uh, imprints his righteousness on you so that when you stand before the Father, instead of your blame being seen by the Father, the Father sees Jesus' righteousness on you. What an amazing concept. And what Paul is saying is you've got to grab that with both hands that because you are justified and you are righteous... And yes, well, the beautiful secret is, this is why we don't think like Muslims. We ought to think like Christians because we are righteous and that takes away the sin element. What Paul is trying to do is to separate the two things of sin and suffering. When we go through suffering, don't implicitly believe that it's because of sin. It doesn't have to be. Why? Because Jesus is our righteousness. And so once you get that, then you'll be able to move forward. We are greeted with a radical concept of how to confront suffering. And that is to confront it with joy. Let me read to you from James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let me read it again. When I use the word suffering this morning, I'm going to include what James says. James says, count it all joy, when you meet trials of various kinds. So I'm going to ask you to do an exercise this morning. I don't need to know the details, but I'm going to ask you some questions uh, without going into the specifics of your own life. Whether it's present or from the past, my question to you is, Have you gone through some painful situations? Have you gone through something that you felt was absolutely unfair? Have you gone through trauma? Something traumatic? I can suggest a couple of things for you. uh, And I want to do this kindly. Have you gone through a divorce? Have you lost a child? 
Have you been accused unfairly? Are you in a broken relationship of some kind? Are you someone who struggles with a current situation that it's, it's not working out? Whatever it might be, whether present or past, I'm asking you to identify if there's something. If you have, one of the questions I would ask you is when you went through that, did you have the approach of joy and embracing? No worries if you didn't. But one of my questions is going to come up a little later because I'm going to ask you when you went through that or when it hit you. And usually these kinds of things are, it's a punch in the gut. You're laid flat. We want to talk about it, what happens. Uh, put a pin on to that. Do you know the, in, in the world, are you aware of the five, depending on who you talk to, which book you read, there are stages of grief. Are you aware of it? Do you know what the first stage is? When something hits you and something happens in your life, you lose a loved one, you lose a job, uh, you lose all your money, whatever it be, do you know what, uh, what are the different stages? Who wants to take a guess at the first one? Denial, denial is the first one. What does denial mean? Uh, no, it, it's not me. It, it, it'll go away. It's not for true. I mean, uh, it couldn't happen to me. Couldn't happen to us. Couldn't happen to... Denial is the first reaction human beings most commonly have. What's the next one? Anger. Once you figure out it's not going away, then you start fuming. Whether with your, even if you are the cause of what's happening, you get angry with yourself. It is some, if it's something that was done to you, you get angry with people. Uh, anger is the next uh, stage in that. What's next? Very good. Then what you start to do, and it often happens with God too, you start to negotiate. God, if you answer this prayer of mine, I will do, and you fill in the blanks. Uh, it's a kind of, uh, you start to bargain, you start to bribe. I'll do this, and if you do that. Uh, again, what is, what is the hope? We still haven't dealt with the reality. No, this is not going anywhere. You can't do anything about it. And then you come to depression. Where this whole thing is such a weight. You get into a fetal position and you figure out there's no way out. And then comes the final stage of acceptance. And usually when people don't go through these stages or they jump a couple of stages, uh, what typically happens in people's life is they have residual anger from the past because they haven't processed it. What's very interesting is, and this is more recently, uh, doctors Ross and Kessler have added a sixth stage that I find fascinating. 
And that is to say, if you go through a hard time in life, whatever it be, if you want to be healed and whole, because that's what suffering does. Suffering just turns you into smitherings. But if you want to be whole and live a productive life, they say you've got to find this amazing word called meaning. Now remember, what suffering does is totally dehumanize you. Takes all the power out of you. And what they say, and this is from the secular world, unless you find meaning in what you're going through, which is hard, try telling a woman who's been raped or someone who's been abused or a drunk driver who just took away a loved one in your family. Take the most the harshest sins in the world. I'm putting them all under the category of suffering. Uh, from our own extended family, I told you about this 22-year-old uh, nephew, grandnephew, who died this couple of weeks ago. Young guy, 22 years old. Successful bone marrow transplant, but gets a silly infection in the hospital, in one of the best hospitals in the country, and dies. Now you look at their family, uh, what scripture and the world would say, they will go through all these stages, but if they don't move beyond these stages of grief, their life will be destroyed. They could end up as being depressed, angry people, uh, and not move on in life. And so we take all of this and we say, how do we find meaning to this? So, which brings us to the point that scripture is making this morning. When we go through different trials, and I hope you're holding on to the exercise I asked you to do this morning is think of something that's happened in your life. Very often we look at those instances by themselves and you will say, you know, there's no meaning to it. And you're probably correct. But here's where scripture comes and says, God is able to accomplish something in your and my life. And suffering is his tool for it. I want to get to the text at this point because I've laid a great foundation for you both biblically and from the area of grief counseling that comes from the world. Suffering takes us on a journey. And here's where I find it interesting as to how scripture tells us what this journey is like. In any of the situations that you thought of for yourself, you are fully aware that it changed the trajectory of your life, didn't it? It's not the life you expected. You had a detour because of whatever hit you. This morning I was talking to Lou and Kim, quizzing them what their reactions were when they first found out that Lou has MS and the kind of MS. I said, what were your first reactions in those first days? first months. And uh, one of the things uh, Lou said is uh, that uh, they were still dating each other. And one of the 
Now, by the way, Lou is a nice guy. I wanted to tell you a statement before I... <laughs> Lou said uh, his first concern was for Kim, and he wanted to give her an opt-out clause that she didn't have to marry him. That's why I said, he is a nice guy. Kim, tell them what your reaction was when this news hit you all. Yep, yep, yep. And I guess where, where I'm going with this is the first thing that suffering trials, uh, this 18-wheeler hitting you, is you suddenly discover for the first time you have no control over life. When you go through the toughest things in life, you suddenly realize just a human being. I can be a victim of circumstances. If you don't believe in God, things just happen. You have no control over it. Do you know when you think about that, how powerless you feel? Because every solution you think of is not working. Every doctor that you go to is not working. Every counselor that you go to, it's not working. And that's why I think one of the things about suffering and trials and hardship in life, I believe is, because in some ways I have gone through a little of it, it strips you absolutely naked with nothing but yourself. Even your relationships suddenly feel it doesn't help. I want you to stay there for a moment because when you come to the end of verse 4 and 5, you will see what suffering does. And those of you who've gone through this, you will agree with me that that is your experience. I can agree with you. You will agree with me that when this thing hits you in whatever form, the first thing you realize is, I am absolutely helpless. I'm at the mercy even of God. And then your faith tells you God doesn't have to. What do you do then? All of our hopes is lost in the fact that we are human beings and we have no control. Now, that's where you figure out, now what do I do? Because if you just stay there, guess what happens? You are going to stay in a fetal position. You're not going to get out of bed. And even if you get out of bed, there's no energy so let's accept this is what suffering does for us. This is what suffering does in the world, whoever we are. Now, my hope is you don't give up. People who give up are the ones who commit suicide. You know that, right? Why do people commit suicide? They just don't see anything beyond. They don't trust people, they don't trust whatever process there is, and they come to the conclusion that life is not worth living. And they give up. Now, as a follower of Christ, you may not commit suicide. I, I 
I wouldn't say, please don't. Those thoughts may come up, but there is hope. There is help. But just going through life really doesn't work. Because you may have another 20, 30, 40 years of your life left. You don't want to live a miserable life. With suffering defining who you are. Now how are you going to tackle this big elephant in the room? Look at what uh, Paul says. If you don't give up, Paul says, suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. You know this for yourself if you've gone through something hard. You have to endure. It's like when you start to exercise after the first couple of days, you hurt. You're tired. You have two choices, give up or endure. And eventually those pains go away. Endurance is just the ability to put one step before the other and say, I'm going to go through this. I'm going to do the best I can. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And when the book of Hebrews tells us that, look at what suffering does. What suffering does is, it takes us inward, doesn't it? We look at our own lives and we tell ourselves, this is unfair, this is miserable, I don't know what I'm going to do, and we look inward. And what the writer to Hebrews is saying is, yeah, that's where you are, but let's keep moving. Look forward. And who do you look at? He says, look to Jesus, verse 2, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, uh, picture this with me, he's going to the cross, but the writer to Hebrews says, he's not looking at the cross, he's looking at the joy that was set before him, and here's what he did, he endured the cross. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So from this inward-looking fetal position that suffering does to us, trials does to us, challenges of the worst kind, what we start to do is we start to look up. And who are we supposed to look at? We look to Jesus. He set the perfect example for us. He endured. He worked hard. He didn't give up. And the first thing that you've got to tell yourself and respond to is, I will not give up. You've got to tell yourself, I don't know how I'm going to journey this, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to look to Jesus, not to myself, not to my friends, not to solutions people give because I don't trust any of them to work. The only one I can trust is I'm going to look to Jesus. Here's what endurance, if you endure, if you stay with God's program, this is what it does. I believe it develops muscles. 
I believe endurance of any kind. God teaches you to build life muscles. That you not only endure for that particular thing, but it's going to help you out in the rest of life. And so endure. Then comes, so suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces what? Character. So as you endure, as you persevere, there's something new that's starting to happen, and that is you start to produce character. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Here's my big statement for the evening or morning, if we don't end up by evening. <laughs> Suffering, when you endure through it, looking to Jesus, produces holiness. What is Christian character? Christian character, in a nutshell, is becoming like God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, what Paul says is, you know, as you endure, get rid of all kinds of sins and things that are part of the flesh and grow in holiness. Let me ask you a simple rhetoric question. How many of us are totally focused on becoming holy? I dare say not many of us. The last thing we're thinking about waking up in the morning is, now, God, let's work on holiness. I know we have a busy day. We've got laundry to do, drop off the kids. But for a moment, let's discuss what does holiness look in my life this morning? What do you have in mind, God, today? That's not the way we usually face life. And what does God do for us? He's totally focused on your holiness, folks. He doesn't care about how wealthy you are, how healthy you are. Those are not his priorities for your life. He is not too worried whether you have a happy life even. You know the one thing he is working on all of us? He is working on our sanctification and our holiness. His goal is till the day we die, we become more and more like Jesus Christ. You see, we're thrilled that we're going to heaven and our sins are forgiven. You're absolutely right. But don't forget the fact. God wants you to be more Christ-like. God wants you to be more holy. And Jason set us up very well. Holiness just means set apart for God. What that means that is you're totally consumed by the things God is consumed by. The activities of God is the activities you want. The mind of God is what you want. The passion of God is what you want. That's how you become holy. And you live a holy life, meaning you live the life that God wants you to be. Guess what suffering does? Suffering brings in Christian character. I say this humbly because I do believe I have a right to say it, not just as a preacher, but as someone who's gone through a, a little bit of this category of trials of different kinds and suffering. 
I know what it's done to me. It's broken me. And I don't think anything else would have broken me. And I thank God for it. Because what I had to reach a point is to say, Joe cannot handle this anymore. And Joe submits to God. Easier said than done. Because we are smart people. We can solve a lot of problems. We have different ways. We can get help. And then you suddenly discover none of it works. And you come to this point to say, I have nothing but myself and God. End of matter. And like the Hebrew boys, you end up saying, God, whether you answer this prayer or not, I will worship you. Do you know how hard that is? Whatever hard situation you are in right now this morning, whatever prayer that hasn't been answered the way you want it, do you know what the Christian response to that is? God, whether you answer it or not, I will love and worship you. Let that sink in. And so, what does suffering do for us? These challenges, these trials, what they do is they eventually produces godliness and holiness and Christian character. God uses it, and that's what adds. So here's, here's what it does. Endurance produces... I believe life muscles and character produces holiness. You know, in the past when I've preached on this, I've kind of almost ended my sermon there, but the newer thought that came to me over this past week is, no, there's one more thing that suffering does. Not just character. Notice what Paul says. And and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Do you know what this hope is? As I've said, our hope is in God. When you grow in endurance and character and holiness, you suddenly discover at the end of the day it's just God and you. There's nothing else you can take for granted. Now the reason I put Check out point A. Do you know where we started when suffering hit us? Inward. Woe is me. Why did this happen to me? I don't know how life is going to go on. I am angry because it was taken away from me. I am broken. I am sad. All truthful statements. But what is the focus in the initial stages, it's me and us. When you go through the process, look at where the focus turns to. You're turning towards God. He becomes my hope. When he becomes my hope, I am able to say, God, whether you answer it or not, my hope is in you. That is the work of suffering and trials and challenges in our life, which is why what it does for you and I is 
you, you will either go one of two ways. You will either curse God or you will end up loving God more. That's the mystery of suffering. Because what you learn as you endure is that God actually is a very present help in times of trouble. You actually learn to walk with God. You suddenly learn the grace of God every day. You pray longer. You pray more. And you experience God in a way in suffering that otherwise you don't experience otherwise. Why? Suffering has a way of getting us very focused away from the distractions in life. And you, you just need to look around and look at people who've gone through suffering and come out well on the other side. They're actually pretty focused people. They don't get caught up with some of the distractions that we get caught up with. Why? They've learned to filter the nonsense out of life because it didn't work for them. And they've held on to core things that have helped them, namely God and the things that matter. Now, here's where scripture comes to us and says, when something hits you, like a Mack truck, when things happen to you that you didn't ask for, when tragedy hits, when circumstances go totally different to your expectations, the only reason you will embrace it is if you can tell yourself, God is trying to do something in my life and it will be for my good and for my holiness. Does that make sense? So when you sang this morning, Lord, bid me come to the cross, do you know what you were trying to sing? You may not know this. God, work in me holiness. So I know that some of you are in challenging situations. It may be taking care of a spouse, uh, working with a tough child, any of the examples. It, if, if there's something tough going on in your life, let me acknowledge it and say, and you should acknowledge it and say, yeah, this is tough. I hope you're not in denial and saying it's not tough. Acknowledge it, embrace it, but also tell yourself that God is producing Christian character in me. And Lord, for that sake, Lord, I embrace it and say thank you. Because if you miss that part, God will keep working on you. And I don't want that. If a small trial didn't teach me what God wanted me to, guess what he'll do? He'll just pile on more. Not because he wants my life to be miserable, but because he wants me to be holy. So part of suffering is to get onto God's program and say, God, do what you want with my life. Let's pray. Let me give you a moment of silence to absorb what I said from the word of God. And if you need to appropriate something that you heard this morning, would you respond to God in the way that he has challenged you this morning?
And so, Father, we pray that this is the reality of life. If we live long enough, we will have trials of different kind. There will be suffering because we live in an evil world. But this morning, would you change our hearts and minds to, in many ways, embrace those things that we didn't ask for and trust you to say, God is able to help me with endurance, character building, and hope in him because it's God who pours his love into our hearts. Not only might we do it for ourselves, but I pray this morning we will get involved with suffering people, and there are tons of them right here in America. Broken-hearted people, hopeless people, poor people who are victims of suffering. May we take the good news of Jesus, especially to suffering people because they need it so badly. But first, do that work in us. And we trust you for that in Jesus' name.